Tracy, thank you for joining this series. Could you please say a few words about yourself? I'm really happy to be here today. And I have a very interesting background, I think, for a CMO in that when I was 16 years old, I got my very first job in a business while I was going to high school, and I was a sales development rep. And that experience really turned me on to what B2B sales and marketing could even be and fueled my passion to get into marketing, move to Silicon Valley, and really start my career. I'm a classic B2B SaaS marketer, have been as long as there, well, at least my first SaaS job was in 2006. And, um, and so that's been quite a long time now in, you know, tech years. Um, and then prior to that was all enterprise software. So my whole background is helping the companies I work for build awareness and extract large amounts of money from lots of customers, whether it's an SMB velocity model or an enterprise targeted model. And, you know, we'll talk about all that today. What's your current role? So I'm CMO at Inside View, and we are a customer data management company. We help companies keep their CRM data, their customer relationship management data, Salesforce and Dynamic CRM in particular, really clean and accurate and up to date. Because we all know that none of these other technologies are going to work. Your sales and marketing process is going to be broken if you don't have really good account and contact data. And that's what we do. And we have a suite of products and a platform. So I've been here um, exactly five years now. What are the primary goals of marketing in SaaS companies? There's really three or four major buckets. And if you think about the lead to revenue journey of a potential customer, marketing has a role every step of the way, starting with building awareness for that company and for that offer. However, there's a lot of controversy around, are you product-led and product-feature-led, or do you talk about the pain that you're solving and elicit that pain and get that person interested in you versus talking about product first? So there's lots of debate around that, around awareness. But to start, it's all awareness, and that's very much related to the website and content and public relations and advertising and things like that. And then next would be demand generation, which, and I would say that the, the beginning of demand generation happens the first time you capture someone's contact information, because we all know that today's buyers, I think Serious Decisions' latest statistics says that the buyer is 70% of the way through their shopping experience before they ever make themselves known to you. That's kind of scary, right? So marketing has to manage anonymously all of that interaction with content, with ads, with SEO tactics, and so on. Once that person becomes a lead, you know, then there's lead pursuit, right? And qualifying that lead, making sure that it's worthy of your salespeople's time if it's a model where a sales rep is actually involved. And then that seller is going to take it to the end and win that business or not. And also sometimes those prospects turn into a no decision category many times. In fact, one time four years ago for me, 39% of our pipeline was turning into no decision, which is kind of horrifying when you think about all the money you spent, right, to get them in, get them to be an opportunity. And then they don't close because it's just not important enough to them, basically. So marketing's job is to examine that sort of outcome and then determine what do we do now post-sale with all those customers that bought? Because there's probably upsell opportunities later. There's a bunch of customers we lost. There's opportunities there too, maybe a year later, right, if they picked a competitor. And then that third category where they made no decision, that's where marketing has to nurture. So lots of things that need to take place through that whole entire journey and then many techniques that you'll use, really depending on your business model. Could you please elaborate on lead generation and some common strategies that are used for the purpose? Common strategies to generate leads in SaaS companies kind of fall into two buckets, I think. 
One of them is what I'd call the inbound bucket, where you are attracting potential buyers to come to you inbound, typically to your website. And you use all sorts of what I like to call bait out in the world through, you know, content syndication, Google ads, search engine optimized content on your website, and so on. So that when someone is searching and has a pain, they're going to stumble across you and that you're going to have some bait that is going to make them click and come to your site. And then you're going to capture their contact information. That's essentially boiling it down. That is inbound marketing. And there's many tactics that you can use to put that bait out in the market, attract them. There's techniques on your website that you're going to want to use to lead capture. So we can talk more about some of those techniques because they're starting to expand. The second big bucket for lead generation in SaaS companies is outbound pursuit. So this is where you have done a good total addressable market analysis. You know your ideal customer profile, you've thought that through, and you've picked accounts. And you might pick, let's pretend, 50 accounts per sales rep. That's an enterprise kind of style sales rep. And with marketing, you will go outbound pursuit with all sorts of techniques to reach those strangers, essentially, that don't know you and get their attention. The thing that I think makes this extra challenging is that typically when you are in an enterprise sales situation, there's a buyer group. There's not just one human being. And that's increasingly true for SMB as well. But it is a well-known fact. Gartner's got a stat. uh, I think it's the lightest study was like 6.3 people in a buyer group. I don't know how they got the fraction of the person. But point is, there's many personas, right? So if you treat an opportunity as a single threaded one person connection, that's pretty dangerous when you know there's six or seven or eight or 20 people in that company that have that pain that are going to have an opinion about how to spend that money and solve that problem. So in that outbound pursuit, marketing really needs to partner with the sales team. And typically there's sales development reps in the middle of that prospecting. That's how it is organized here. We pick those accounts and we figure out what do we think they care about? How do we think we can attract them? And then we pursue together. And it's a highly orchestrated process, um, otherwise known as account-based marketing. And you'll notice I talked all about this, whatever, using that acronym, you know, we have been in targeted pursuit as marketers for a very long, long time. I think the reason why account-based marketing is an interesting acronym that's being thrown around everywhere is that there is technology and tools now that really help you be very certain about what you're doing and to measure engagement. So that's a part of that, right? Because those sales cycles can be very long. It can take nine months to even get to an opportunity and another six months to close that opportunity. Back when I was at Mark Logic with Dave Kellogg, we had deal cycles sometimes that were a year or two, but then it was a $10 million deal. So that whole entire time, marketing is making sure that that account is aware of you. We're providing air cover for the salespeople when they're working the deal and so on. So those two big buckets, big inbound bucket with lots of new techniques and then big outbound bucket. And it really depends on your business model. Are you high velocity, high crank turn, you know, 5K, 15K, 20K deals that are all done over the phone and in 30 days, just worry about outbound. If you're blended, like we are at Inside View, where we have that first example and an outbound example for our enterprise sellers, we're doing both. It's quite hard to do both at the same time for lots of reasons. So, you know, CEOs and marketing and salespeople really need to kind of think all that through where they want to put their primary investments. You have mentioned that there are certain techniques that I use in the inbound marketing. Could you please tell us about them? There are many techniques in inbound marketing, and I'll go through them because you really want to kind of check all your boxes when you're thinking about it. 
What you pick to use before I describe that completely depends on who you're going after. I mean, that seems so obvious, but what is that persona? What is their pain or what do you think their pain is? What do they do during the day? For example, are on their phone all day? Are they in their car all day? Are they in a big city? Are they in a rural town? Do they have good internet connection or, you know, that sort of thing. And then where do they go for information? You have to find that out. You have to make the assumption that most people will start with a simple search, you know, in a search engine, but lots of times there's all sorts of content sites they go to, right? And then there's social feeds, where they go and hang out. So is your persona somebody who's on Instagram and Pinterest all day? Or are they somebody who's on LinkedIn and Twitter all day, right? You know, there's tools to help you proxy for that to figure out where the right target might be. So know all that, right? So I would say before you ever start talking about a tactic, like, should we have a chat bot on our website? Stop that conversation, slow down and say, what do we know about the people that we think are going to be interested? And where do they hang out? And how do they get information? And how do they make decisions and things like that? You know, using a personal example, if you're going to buy a new car, you're probably going to talk to a whole bunch of your friends. You're going to do a bunch of online research, looking at reviews and things like that. You might read consumer reports. You might read Car and Driver if you're a real aficionado. And all of that you are doing completely anonymously before Tesla or Honda or whoever you're going to go buy from ever knows who you are. So all of that is inbound. And to understand the car buyer that would be the Honda buyer is how the marketers will figure out how to intercept you while you are searching and while you are anonymous. If you think of a small, let's say, two people startup, when do you think it is the right time for them to hire the first marketing person? I have heard many opinions on this. I've heard some folks say you should really get a good salesperson first and just see if you can sell before you bring in a marketer, which I think would be the right thing to do. However, I think once you get to be about a million in ARR, you need a marketing person. And I would just call that person, honestly, you know, head of marketing, although I hate the head of title personally, because I think it's sort of a, it's a way to keep a talented person from not getting the VP title and saving time to be able to bring in a VP later. So that's what I think about that. But you need somebody to, be, to lead. So call it a marketing leader. And this is where it gets difficult because I believe that good marketing people come up through two kinds of DNA. DNA one is they've been an engineer, they studied engineering, they might have even developed product, and then they might have moved into like a sales engineer kind of job where they would go with salespeople and do technical demos and things like that. And then maybe they made it into product marketing. So all about product market fit and building demos and all of that. There are many CMOs in Silicon Valley today that came up through that set of DNA. The other set of DNA is the one I have, which is brand and demand. And you know, you understand how to get those people to your website. You understand what techniques to use. You understand that when to use a chatbot and when not to, when you should do an ABM pursuit and when you should not. Um, you understand how to make people aware and how to run a great product launch and get the word out there. So I'm describing two skill sets that are very, very hard to find in one person. I've never met one, never once. And when I talk to CEOs and they say, you know, we need this crazy combination of all the things I described, I just said, you're just never going to find it. You're going to look and look and look and you're going to constantly be disappointed. So what you need to do is pick which DNA do you need in your team to begin with. Often it's product marketing, but I'll tell you increasingly, I'm getting calls from CEOs that want to talk about like who should my first hire be and what they really need is demand gen. So this is what I would recommend. 
You don't get one marketer. You got to get a couple. You get one to be the lead and you pick the DNA of that lead. You say, I want this person to be a fabulous demand gen person primarily. And then her second, her lieutenant is going to be the product marketing person or vice versa. And I think that's a really smart way to go. And anybody that you interview should have a good network of freelancers and small agencies where they can pull in the talent when they need it, but it's not going to cost you 20 grand a month, which a lot of agencies will try and charge you. They have a great graphic designer as an example or a demo builder. Do you think it makes difference whether this original marketing person is coming from a large company or small? I do. I very much think they should have small company experience. It's fine if they have some big company experience. I did. I worked in a billion dollar company before, but then I've worked in companies. My sweet spot is really, you know, the sort of 20 to 100 million growth phase. So I think you need to think about growth phases and look for people that you can pattern match against those phases. If they only have much bigger company experience, they will not know how to get anything done by themselves. And that's a big problem. The opposite is also true. If all they have is small company experience, they try and do everything themselves and, you know, they don't leverage and they don't go fast and, you know, and things like that. So I would pattern match. I'd say, you know, if you're a one to $5 million ARR business, make sure the person you hired has been in a company of that size a couple of times and grown and model around that. As this startup continues growing, how would the structure of the marketing team be changing? I like to think of teams or let's just say functions of marketing, because even in that example we just talked about where there's a lead and a second, even in that situation, there are functions that must be done in marketing one way or another, right? Whether it's an employee or a freelancer. So let's talk about those buckets. And there's four. And the fourth one's new-ish to marketing. First one's just awareness, all the things you have to do around awareness. PR, PR firm, analyst relations, core website, your brand identity, your logo, your colors, all of that. Second one's demand generation. And that you have to put everything in there. The inbound stuff we talked about, the outbound pursuit, you put your events in there. You know, you want a billboard in an airport, you know, that's going to go in there and stuff like that. The third big bucket's product marketing. And there's many things that fall into that bucket that are critically important for every SaaS company product market fit research, uh, voice of the customer research, you know, what do people care about? Because they're really going to pattern match between what buyers want and what the engineers are going to build. So they act like that middleman, middlewoman between the engineering and product management team and the market and customers and sales reps. The second big bucket besides that is messaging and tools, right? Your core sales deck, your demo, your elevator pitch, things like that. The third one is competitive research. And sometimes that can be quite complex, like even to the point where, you know, you want to have a lab set up with competitive products in it and things like that. But at the very least, you need to understand the competitor's claims and so on. And then the fourth area is sales enablement. So not as important when you just have one or two salespeople to have a, a really super formal program. But boy, when you get 10 or 15 or 20 salespeople and ramp time really matters. And if your average ramp time is 90 days before they're productive, but you get good sales enablement in there and you carve off a third of that. That's how you get that exponential growth. So sales enablement is one of those functions, like one other that I'm going to talk about in a minute, where in the org, it does not have to be in marketing. You could have sales enablement working for the sales VP. That would be fine. But product marketing is going to be a subject, big subject matter expert for that function, if that makes sense. So then the last group, which the last big function is sales development or lead development or business development, BDRs, sometimes people call them. And this function is the function of 
two things, qualifying the inbound leads. Marketing qualifies them first, of course, but then they look at them, follow up on them. And if they can turn that person into somebody who wants to talk to a sales rep, then it becomes sales accepted and so on. I know you have other sessions in this series about metrics, you know, best metrics and SaaS. So they're going to be doing inbound lead qualification and, um, and really opening opportunities pipeline. They're also going to be doing that outbound pursuit in partnership with the sales reps. So that skill is a really important skill because if you think about what I said earlier about the buyer journey being 70% of the way done before they ever make themselves known to you, they come knocking on the door. The person who opens the door is the SDR, first person. So that interaction has to be great. They have to be felt well taken care of. That person needs to be knowledgeable and so on. And this is one of the hardest teams in Silicon Valley to staff. Typically, you're hiring people right out of college. They don't want to be in that job very long. It's a bit like tech support where people get burned out. So you're constantly hiring and um, and hopefully grooming them to move into your next sales roles, which is what we've done here at Inside View very well. And it would be worth a few tips later on um, vendors that we're working with and things like that. So that sales development role is another one that can sit in sales or in marketing. Here, it sits in marketing. The leader of that team works for me. And I love that model so much because demand generation and the inbound response and the outbound pursuit and the account-based marketing, it is just completely integrated. And we go way faster and we get much better feedback from the SDRs. Now, truth be told, if they reported into sales, the same things would be happening, right? The exact same things. But I like to own the pipeline number. I really feel like that's one of the most important things that a CMO needs to sign up for is I'm going to deliver this amount of pipeline consistently. And, you know, we're going to watch what closes and we're going to pay attention to all of the outcomes. So that sales development role and the sales enablement role, they need to be somewhere. It doesn't have to be a full-time headcount, right? It doesn't have to be a full-time person. There's agencies and other things. So that's why I think when you're like one, two million ARR, you need just a couple of employees with good networks that know how to get stuff done. And then as you get bigger, then you're going to start adding individuals that have one or more of the responsibilities we talked about. I'm guessing the size of your marketing team depends on the budget, right? So there are some rules of thumb that I have learned in my 30 years doing this that I think would be very useful to your listeners, which are think about your total marketing budget and the ratio in that budget between people and programs. There are people, we've been talking about the people, but all those techniques I spoke about, some of them cost money, you know, cold, hard cash. Easy example is $100,000 for a trade show. Less obvious example would be getting SEO advice from an agency for your website. And you might pay 3K a month for that as an example. So there's all this marketing programs money, media budget for your Google ads and so on. And a good rule of thumb that I'm always trying to get towards is a 50-50 ratio of what I'm spending on people and what I'm spending on programs. Now, we come up with the program dollars based on the pipeline we need to generate, of course, right? So we have to work backwards in the funnel to figure it out. And that's very, very metrics and instrumentation driven, which is where SaaS companies have become really, really good. And that's, you know, lots of different kinds of technologies that can help you with that. But you really need a marketing leader who can advise you on what tech stack to put together, how the CRM data is going to be integrated, and so on. That's a time for a whole nother podcast, I think. But you know, it's SaaS companies are machines. The machinery needs to be well thought out, and it can be very intimidating to know what to pick. So we could talk more about that if you'd like. Yep, I'd like to learn more. Let's talk more about the kind of the technology stack and the role of that. So it is 
super intimidating as a marketer to see how many options there are in the market. It's crazy. The technology stack for a SaaS company, I think there's fundamentals and then there's a bunch of next level, good to consider kind of category things. The fundamentals are pretty simple. It's I think of it like a three-legged stool. You have your customer relationship management system, often Salesforce, Microsoft Dynamics is another, and there are others. The other system is a marketing automation system like a Marketo or a Pardot or a HubSpot. And then what's that third one? That third one is your data, your account data on all those targets that you decided that you needed to go after, the people data that in the buyer groups that you want to go after. And of course, as you're signing customers, your customer data, what did they buy and who were all the people that were engaged within that account and what's their satisfaction level and is there an upsell opportunity and so on. So those are the three legs of the stool. You got to start there. And then you can layer in additional things. Like for example, remember we were talking about how are people shopping? Do they like to talk to a human or because usually they do if it's a very considered purchase, what marketers call a considered purchase, like a car, right? You're not just going to click a button and buy a car like you would buy a sneakers, you know, on a Nike website. So think about your channels and then you'll know if there's technology you need to add. So for example, we recently added a chat bot to our website and we thought very carefully about how much of the engagement stream should be the bot and then when do we click it to a human? And it goes to one of my SDRs. So we've been testing that and testing that. And people seem to be really liking it that are visiting where they used to have to fill out a form and then wait to be contacted and all of that kind of stuff. You can speed it up really fast. So that's an example of another kind of technology you could add. And there's all sorts of things for measurement and all sorts of things for ad creation and engagement. But I think the fundamentals that you have to start with are CRM, your Salesforce, you know, typically for a SaaS company, your marketing automation system so that you're automating all your interactions and then your data. And if you've got that, then you've got a great foundation. Let's talk about people again. How do you structure compensation for your marketing personnel? We structure the compensation of our marketing team pretty simply. There's a base salary that's competitive, right, with the market. And demand generation people, all marketing people are in hot demand in Silicon Valley. So you have to really be prepared to pay well, let's just say that. But it's part salary and then part bonus. About a third of my compensation is the bonus part. And that is tied 50% to us hitting our revenue number for the whole company. And then 50% on uh, specific objectives. You know, some people use the OKR model, some people use the MBO model. All it means is there are quarterly objectives that we have agreed to. And in fact, I was just signing off um, yesterday with my CEO on Q1, even though it's end of January. Um, You know, there probably are five focus areas typically, and we weight them. And then we have a specific measure. And and often that's a pipeline measure. Often we're looking at uh, the shape of our pipeline conversion rates. We are looking at account engagement measures because we're going after a whole set of new accounts because we have a bunch of new sales reps that are enterprise. So it's going to be too soon to sign up for a pipeline number with only three months and a quarter, but it's not too soon to sign up for an engagement number. How many people do we get to come to our website? Do we have anybody from that account that's joining our webinars? Things like that that are going to show us some progress. So I think you have to really focus your marketers on a pipeline and a pipeline number is a primary measure. And that's a little rare. There are some companies who just focus on lead quantity, and I would never do that in a million years. That's just an activity measure. Certainly we're going to measure it, but I want my marketers to be comped on delivering good opportunities to the sales team. You've mentioned that it is difficult to hire marketers in Silicon Valley. Does it mean you don't terminate people who underperform? Well, that would be a risk, wouldn't it? You know, uh, that if someone was an underperformer, you'd hang on to them because it was so hard to recruit. 
we don't do that. I don't do that. I feel like bad air is better than no air. Air is worse than no air. You know what I mean? Um, in that particular case. So it is very competitive to recruit talent in Silicon Valley. Very. And my recruiting team here tells me that almost every candidate's a passive candidate. They're not looking. So you have to sell. You, the company, has to sell. And I can't tell you as a CMO how many recruiters reach out to me. Gosh, every month, it's got to be at least a dozen for different CMO jobs. And, you know, every week, just break that down, right? And it's pretty crazy how much demand there is for good marketing talent. So that's why my advice to folks is really think about the DNA, be smart. There's some excellent recruiters that you really need to invest in if you're looking for a leader. You know, don't go hire your sister-in-law just because she wrote for a newspaper once, you know, that kind of thing. I see that often, you know, when people are trying to really bootstrap. All of that is difficult, but I think employees today, they want to learn and have more responsibility. They want to work for companies that have impact, whether it's business value impact or social impact. So you have to think about a lot more than just the mechanics of the job. It's the culture and kind of the mission of the organization, but you have to sell these people to come work for you. And it's not just about throwing stock at them. They have to really feel it. So you have to work on that. Speaking of the recruiters that are reaching out to you, when do you think it is the right time for a growing SaaS startup to hire a CMO? First, let's talk about, well, what does CMO even mean, right? Because I've had the VP of marketing title and I've had the CMO title. And I did the same exact stuff. I had the same responsibilities. I had the same measures. When I became a CMO, I think the pressure goes up. The market looks at you more seriously. It's usually something that you would never get until you're 20 years into your career, typically. And if you're not title conscious, it's the same job. It's a VP of marketing job. Whoever has all the responsibility for marketing. But I think CMOs are, it, the expectation is that we are becoming way more strategic and way more conscious of what happens in the customer experience post-sale and so on. And we can talk about that more. My advice to your listeners, if they are in that one to five million ARR, they should do the model that we talked about earlier, where you pick the DNA of your leader, and they're kind of a mid-level leader, director-ish level, and they're either product marketing or a brand in demand, and then they build a small team and some agency freelancer people to do the work. That's kind of one to five million ARR, generally speaking. Once you start getting to 10 and 15 million, you really need a good marketing leader. I don't know that it has to be CMOs, so to speak. But you better find somebody who's run all of marketing before and bring them in and have them really partner with your sales leader. Because now you're at 15 million ARR. That means you probably have seven or eight million of recurring revenue. Then there's that new logo pursuit where you're going to get that exponential pop and the flywheel hits. So you have to have somebody really looking at kind of all those measures and able to deploy resources and make really strategic decisions with sales and with finance and with your head of product and so on. What should be a profile of that person? Does she have to have experience as a head of marketing or she can grow into the role? The answer to whether you can hire somebody to grow into the role, I think, is a factor of how fast you think you are going to grow. So you wouldn't want to make a bet on an up-and-comer if you're going to double the company every year. I think it's just going to grow too fast and that person's not going to know what to do. If your growth rate is slightly slower or, I don't know, you have, a, you have something unique about your business – 
then I think you could take a shot at an up and comer. I mean, I got my first job with someone taking a shot on me as an up and comer. Up to that point, I had only ever run brand and demand marketing in companies. And he took a shot on me and made me CMO. And I knew that I needed to have a strong product marketer to build out that team because that was not my DNA. But that company was 15 million ARR when I joined and 85 million three years later when I left. So I feel like the right structure was put in place there. You spoke about the compensation of the marketing team, but how is CMO compensated? When thinking about CMO's compensation, there's, of course, that base salary, and then there's that bonus variable, and that should very much be performance-based. Um, but there's the equity component, right? And you know what I'm told and, and what I've received in the past, but what I've been told even recently is that a good CMO will typically command about 1% of outstanding options. And for a good CRO, you're going to get closer to 2%. So sales is going to get closer to that 2%. Marketing is going to get around the 1%. And I've been in that range. So, you know, that may sound like a wow, oh my God number, you know, you just have to think about it, right? If you're going to attract top talent in your rapidly growing company, that's what you're going to need to do to get the really good ones. What role does marketing play when it comes to the existing customers? One of the things that's really important for your listeners to think about as they're building their SaaS companies is the lead to revenue journey that your prospect is going through. That person, that company, that account, they get passed kind of from team to team often. So marketing is involved very early, attracting those leads. Sales builds the relationship, closes them, wins that business, hands them off to an implementation team, as an example, there might then be a customer success manager who is assigned to that person. That's a very popular model in SaaS. And then often there'll be an account manager. And the way that we've structured it is for new logo pursuit, brand new customers, we have account execs. Once they become a customer, they get handed over to an account manager. And that account manager has a book of business that might be $2 million a year ARR, as an example. And there might be 15 accounts. Let's just pretend. And their job is to make sure that customer is super happy and to upsell, find new revenue opportunities. They're partnered with a customer success manager whose job is to make sure that what that customer bought is well used, deployed correctly, adding value, and so on. So that team together, the account manager and the CSM, are working in concert to protect that precious renewable book and that ever-precious upsell. And then you have your new logo pursuit going on at the same time. Marketing has a role to play in all of that. And when you're first starting out, you're just going for new customers and building your inbound engine and sales is closing and winning those deals. And then you're moving on to the next one and the next one and the next one, right? But before you know it, you get to 1 million, 2 million, 3 million ARR. Half that revenue is probably coming from those customers that you closed. So what are you doing to protect that revenue? keeping those customers informed about everything that is new, making sure that you're watching their usage you know, in the case of an app or the, an end user app. In the case of more infrastructure products, are they deployed at best practice? You know, are they getting all of the value and so on? And that is marketing can help a lot with the communications of that and formalizing the communications of that. Um, and then also helping that account manager who is looking for new opportunities in that company to sell more, right? You might have adjacent products or there might be other departments you're going after. We partner with the account managers, marketing does, just like we do with the account execs. And they just have more information because they know the account already. So we work in partnership like, for example, imagine a big company with lots and lots of divisions, right? You might be in one division, but there's four more that you can go after. So together with that seller, you make a plan for how you're going to go after 
group two and three and four, and you point your SDRs and your marketing energy and that salesperson together to do that. And that retention revenue that VCs look at with such an eagle eye, you know, that renewal plus upsell, that's how you make it happen. It's the whole pursuit collaboration between all of those different teams. But think about it from the customer's point of view. That's, a, to me, the best way to start, as opposed to thinking about, what role goes where. Think about the customer's point of view because there's probably something unique in your solution that needs a slightly modified model or something, right? So, you know, yeah, there's a playbook, but don't just follow the recipe. Really think about the customer. I saw an interesting symbol in your book. It looks like a sideways number eight. I found the whole concept kind of intriguing. Could you please elaborate on that? It looks like a sideways eight. I think the name of it is an ellipses and it, you know, it's just constantly moving. And I like to think of that image as the new funnel, right? We all think about the lead to revenue funnel is looking literally like a funnel and awareness comes in the top and leads convert through the bottom and money comes out the end, right? And you're done. But once you are getting into the situation where you you do have recurring customers, you're protecting them from churning, but you have added products that you think you could sell them, that sideways eight moving model, that ellipses that's going around and around infinity loop is really the model where you're finding people, you're engaging with them, you're winning that business, and then you're growing that business. And then in that growth, you're finding more people, right? And it just keeps going on and on. So I find that a useful construct, you know, even just to draw on a whiteboard when we're talking about, okay, hey, how are we going after new people? That looks like the normal funnel, but what are we doing about expansion? And that's where this other drawing comes so handy because then everyone in in your team can really see themselves in that process because it's the customer's process. And you can do lots of things to drive that process and respond to it, of course, as well. Tracy, what resources would you recommend to people who would like to learn more about SaaS marketing? There are many good resources if you're trying to learn about marketing, if you're a founder or a CEO. There are many blogs that are great. Uh, Jason Lemkin's Sastra blog is terrific, and his event every year is a very good one, and it's chock full of, I mean, there's 300 speakers. There's all sorts of best practices coming out of that thing. I'm, in fact, doing a session uh, workshop on how to build an SDR team coming up on, uh, I think it's the week of March 10th in San Jose. So lots of people should go to that. There are um, analyst firms that give great advice, Forrester and Gartner and Serious Decisions. That's now also part of Forrester. They all have terrific models. Serious Decisions has really good like conversion rate advice, and they can even benchmark you against your competitors or companies that are peer companies. So those are all good. Now you got to pay for those, right? Every one of those is like 50 grand a year or something. In the free resource department, there's lots of great blogs to follow. There's good books to read. There's a couple podcasts I would recommend in addition to yours. I really like the Kel blog blog by Dave Kellogg that has got classic SaaS metrics. And he's a marketer. I worked for him for 11 years. And he's just a really great teacher. He, he put out a post yesterday, the top 10 things that every SaaS founder needs to answer. And there was one of them that just stopped me in my tracks and really got me thinking about a problem that I have right now. So that was really great because I love to learn and, and read. Um, and then there's a, a podcast called The Marketing Book Podcast, which is um, put out by a guy named Doug Burdett. It's won a bunch of awards and he basically reviews marketing books and you can kind of go through there. And that's a great way to get a you know 30 minute overview of what the book's about by the author. And Doug's a great interviewer. Um, he interviewed me for my book, Align to Achieve. And that is a book that if your listeners are interested, they should check out. It talks about how to align your sales and marketing teams and around people and process and technology. Wiley published it two years ago, but it's generated royalties. So that's kind of exciting. Um, And then there's, I would say, luminaries to follow on social media. 
there's lots of really smart people like Scott Brinker is a good example. He runs the MarTech conference and he's just an authority on kind of the latest and greatest tools and technologies. He's an individual that would just be a good one to follow. He's a prolific blogger. He had his own company and then HubSpot hired him as chief strategy officer. So there's a little bit of bias in there towards that product, but it's a good product. So, um, but Scott's got a lot of really great advice. Is there anything important that we didn't cover, but the listeners should know about? There are two things. So one final thought is, what the heck is brand? I'm sure some of your listeners are like, oh, brand, oh, God, you know, what is that? It just sounds like it's going to cost a lot of money and, you know, and all of that. A lot of people think the brand just fundamentally is your logo and, you know, your colors and your design. It is that. That's a piece of it for sure, right? How you look to the market, how you sound to the market. But really, brand is who are you to your customer? And what are your values towards your customer? And are you going to be the company that is going to delight them? Think that through, really. And that and, and have that be your brand promise that all your employees think about. What is our promise to the market? Who do we want to be to the market? And agonize over your words, right? My one sentence description of what we are. And in that blog I mentioned that Dave did that, the thing that stopped me in my tracks was the second question that every founder of a SaaS company should answer, which was, what is my first order benefit? What is the uh, most present pain that people that could buy my stuff have? Now, you and your technology might solve many, many pains, right? But what is the worst one, right? The thing that is just killing them inside. And you really have to decide what is that thing, because that thing is what's going to bait them to come to you thinking about them staying anonymous and shopping around. So that sort of agony over your brand and your message is really key. There's one more thing I would love for your listeners to know, which is there's a new nonprofit organization called Women in Revenue. I'm on the board. Um, it's sort of a side hobby. We're all volunteers. And this organization is designed to promote women in sales and marketing and customer success, customer facing revenue generating roles. And we all talk about how we want diversity in tech, right? And we all talk about when we want more women in STEM. And there's really good programs, Girls Who Code, Black Girls Who Code that are happening. But there was nothing for women in sales and marketing. And typically, at least for most of my career, I was the only female in the room of nine, 10 VP at a time. And that can be very difficult to navigate. And there's much that's been written about that. So this organization, Women in Revenue, what I want your listeners to know is if they want to recruit and retain more women in their sales and customer-facing roles and in marketing, go to Women in Revenue, check it out, send your women to go network, be active on the Slack channel. You can become a sponsor. We have 1,200 members in the first year. And it's a great place to network. And if you have women on your staff, tell them about it. Have them come join because they'll get mentorship and best practices. So it's like this really lovely uh, community. So womeninrevenue.org, check it out. So um, that would be the parting thought. Thank you very much, Tracy. It was a great interview.